Can Colorado close it out or can Tampa wreck the parade? With that, we bring in Elliot Frieden from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada, who's in Denver. Hello, Frege. Hey, Jeff. How you doing, bud? Uh, I'm good. When we when we spoke this morning, you said you might be on the bike while we did this hit. Are you on the bike right now, Frege? No, no, no. I didn't do that because the actual stuff was happening. So I was dealing with that and I'll be going. I'll be going right after I'm done here. Perfect. Well, let's get to some of those things, and we'll we'll park the conversation briefly about the game tonight at Ball Arena. But um, the latest, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and Luke Richardson, uh, twofold there. Uh, the Blackhawks search for their head coach, and then a spot open on another bench, uh, namely Montreal. Start with Luke Richardson in Chicago. Your thoughts on this one? Well, he was in Chicago yesterday for his second interview, and obviously it went really well. So he's uh, there in negotiations to get the contract done. Um, uh, he was a serious contender there uh, right from the beginning and on a team that is basically starting over and going to be doing a lot of losing and building. You need to have a good teacher and Richardson is nothing if not a really good mm-hmm. teacher. So um, obviously happy for him. Um, you know, our, our teammate, Gary Galley, he's tight with um, uh, Luke Richardson. I'm sure this is a really emotional day for Gary, too, and I'm happy for him. But um, like I said, I guess the I, I mean, the his second interview was yesterday in Chicago, and obviously it went really well because uh, he's going to be the guy barring a major contract snafu. You know, there's a uh, there's a feeling around, and there has been for a couple of seasons now, about Luke Richardson. And the question was always not if, but when. And you know, and you know the that conversation sort of shifted to isn't it isn't Luke Richardson overdue here to get a head coaching position? Like it was what about a couple of years ago, Fred? We started talking about how you know he should start to be a more likely candidate for a lot of teams. I I. Um... I thought so. I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I'm a little bit surprised that uh, it took this long. Um, I, I really thought, and especially la- uh, like last year when you know the the uh, Ducharme got COVID in the middle of mm-hmm. the playoffs, and Richardson coached a couple of games. I thought that would be something else that would, you know, rocket him to the front. But you know, it, it's weird. Like you know, what, now we're seeing. In this coaching carousel, we're seeing a lot of people moving from one team to the other, although I'm really curious to see what Boston is going to end up here and what Winnipeg is going to do if uh, Trotz is not the guy. And so I I have a feeling that once Winnipeg gets uh, the Trotz decision one way or the other, if it's yes, well, then it's easy. But if it's no, I think they might kind of know who their second choice is. Uh, and then, you know, we'll see Boston, I think, is still in their process, continuing interviews. But I was a little bit surprised that Richardson wasn't in some more places. That's for sure. Uh, you mentioned a couple of teams here, and I, I, I want to get to Barry Trotz in a couple of seconds in the Winnipeg Jets. But um, you mentioned the Boston Bruins and the news yesterday from Joe McDonald, um, Bergeron, you know, likely coming back on a one-year incentive-laden deal. Mm-hmm. Which is clearly a relief to the Boston Bruins, certainly. Yep. Um, what's the? Tr- I always wonder about the trickle down effect uh, of a decision like that. Like all of a sudden, okay, so Bergeron is back. So not that I thought that Boston was going to go through any type of you know significant rebuild, like tear this mm-hmm. down and build it back up again. 
But with Bergeron coming back, that kicks that decision down the road even further, doesn't it? Yes. Well, I, I didn't think – I really didn't think, Jeff, Boston was going to do a rebuild. It, it just I, – I know there's a lot of guys hurt, and there were a lot of questions about what was going on. But everything I was hearing was that Boston wasn't ready to commit to that. And I think what they believe is if they can tread water until all these guys get healthy – they're going to have they're they're going to be in good position for a strong second half of the season, and um, Bergeron coming back and you know basically Bergeron's on vacation right now, and he'll be meeting with the Bruins next week to formalize this. Um, you know I I don't think Joe McDonald's wrong or anything like that. I think he's right on top of it, but I think this is all going to get finalized next week. Um, you know I I just think that. Uh, him coming back is proof that that kind of thinking was the truth. And that is that the Bruins are not ready to rebuild and Mm -hmm. they're going to try to get through the first few months till everyone gets healthy and then bet on themselves at the back end. You know, the interesting thing there, I I know the two groups will meet at the, uh, I believe the beginning of July, Elliot, but as it would stand right now, Bergeron comes back on the one-year deal. Then you have both Bergeron and Pasternak's contracts expiring at the exact same time. Yep. And, and, and they'll, I mean, they'll find out, I mean, you know, we're going to find out here if this is a run it back for one more year. Or Boston has to make significant changes if Pasternak's not willing to commit. So, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a wild couple weeks in this league, Jeff. I mean, yeah. look, look at all the stories that are coming out now. Um, you know, Connor Brown at this point in time planning on testing the market next year. Pierre Luc Dubois at this point in time planning on testing the market in two years. There's a lot of players who are going to have the opportunity to call their shots. I think the wild thing about this year is that there's not a lot of money in the system. So it's going to be really interesting to see who, who grabs the seats at the table fast, which you know what it means, Jeff, it's tampering season. (laughs) That doesn't happen. Wait a minute. Gambling here at Casablanca. I had no idea. Um, You know, it it is interesting and I'm with you. I think that, you know, July 13th, when the window opens, you know, this is, you know, why Taylor Hall grabbed that deal not too long ago with the Buffalo Sabres, because all the money for the forwards was drying up and you try to get as much as possible uh, and just try to get a seat before the music winds down. I, I think once again, this free agency season, when the window opens up, I think it's going to be quick because I don't think uh, I don't think the, the wise thing at all for any of these free agents is to, to try to go deep into July here and try to squeeze a couple of extra quarters, nickels and dimes out of a general manager. I think you get your best possible deal and you do it. I, I, I agree. I agree with that. But I, I think that uh, I, I think, though, that fit is going to be a big thing for some of these guys. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think some people might do that. But, you know, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see some of these free agents who came out of winning situations or came off of good teams. What do they prioritize? What do they want to do? Do they want the biggest paycheck or do they want to go to the best situation? And that's another thing that some of them weigh too, because I think they know on some of these teams that are really good, where they have a better chance of winning, there's less flexibility. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Hey, do I want to make $60 million? Yes. Do I want to win? Well, if I want to make sixty million, how many situations are there where I'm going to be able to win? 
Well, and we think of players like, I mean, look at tonight's game, Nazem Kadri and Valeri Nachushkin and Josh Manson, other end of the rink. We look at Andre Palat. Like, there's no shortage of those players for each. So we have those questions about, you know, this evening. And maybe, you know, how I wonder, you know, considering how much salary cap space they have, and you wonder how many years can they say we're rebuilding and one more year and one more year. I mean, how much of a driver's seat now is, you know, Steve Eiserman here and the Detroit Red Wings? Oh, well, I think there's a couple teams like that. I think there's Detroit, if they if they want, if they want. I think there's Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think is an interesting one is Nashville. You know, they've got a big one to do, but they've also got a lot of cap room. Um, you know, the you know Ottawa has talked about how it wants a front line forward, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they've this is going to be an interesting indicator on kind of where we could be going in Ottawa. Um, there's there's a lot of interesting situations here. You know, Buffalo by trading for Ben Bishop, that says to me they're not ready no, yet to spend. Not yet. And they're not yet. and they're looking at who they've got coming up in a few years and saying we have to you know keep we have to keep flexibility for those players. But you know there are some you know there are some interesting teams. <clears throat> Excuse me, Jeff. There are some interesting teams with cap room, and you know Nashville is one to me. Seattle is one to me. Um, New Jersey is one to me. You get the sense that they're in a position where they want to start getting better. Ottawa, you know, we know they want to get a top forward. I'm really curious about how some of these, and also too. How many players get term? Mm. There's there's definitely around the league some teams that are trying to draw a hard line on term. A hard line on term. So is that like you're you're not gonna be able to get Johnny Goudreau if you're drawing a hard time a line on term. No. You're not gonna be able to get Philip Forsberg, I don't think, if you're willing to draw a hard line on term. But I think some of these teams are really gonna try it. You know, I want to back up to Buffalo there for a second because that's a really interesting situation. And I'm with you. The minute they picked up Ben Bishop, I said, okay, that's their indication that, look, we need to get to the floor here and we're still developing. You know, we look around around our division and we say we're not there yet. But, you know, and you just pop onto Cap Friendly and have a look. $33 million in cap space. Um, And they have three first-round picks. This season, Uh, they have three second round picks as well in 2023, along with their own first round pick. And you say to yourself, at a a certain point, you want to start turning this into player capital as it just opposed to to prospect capital. And listen, to your point, uh, Tage Thompson is due a new contract at the end of next season. You know, Dylan Cousins is an RFA. Peyton Krebs has two more years, but you're starting to get in a situation, you know, two more years of Rasmus Dahlin at $6 million. So you, you do see the the big salaries that are coming on the horizon, provided these players keep playing the way that they have and keep developing the way that they are. But I, I just wonder about, about Buffalo, like at, at which point you say, okay, you know, we always use the analogy of green bananas. When are we out of the green banana business? I think Buffalo's out of the green banana business in a year or two. Yeah. Um, oh, one more thing. Uh, a follow-up on Luke Richardson. Uh, opening now in Montreal. 
Be curious to see who uh, who Martin St. Louis brings in now. Yeah, I think that's going to be uh, a, a really interesting one. I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that. I, I do. Um, you know, there's going to be, uh, like, you know, like I, I think Andrew Burnett is going to have a lot of opportunity here and there to do assistant coaching. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Philly is one team I think that's really uh, hot for him um, if he, you know, if, if he wants to do that. Um, but, I you know, I, I just wonder, like, Burnett, has now has head coaching experience and I think he's a pretty popular guy. Um, I'm not saying he could be in Montreal's plans, but that's the kind of thing that could potentially make sense there. Um, mm-hmm. And I do think he's going to be, I th- I've heard there's several teams who've reached out to him and say, look, if you, if you want to do it, um, we're going to have a spot for you. Um, you know, but I, I do think that'll be a coveted spot in Montreal. I, I definitely think there's going to be a lot of people interested in that. I, especially you're going to have a number one pick this year. San Louis, um, uh, you know, is, is a guy who a lot of people seem very interested in and working for. I don't think they're going to have any trouble doing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to talk more to Ian Mendez about this at the bottom of the hour, but curious about yeah. your thoughts on the situation in Ottawa. Uh, the National Capital Commission uh, granting preferred bid status to the Ottawa Senators. Uh, this is the LeBreton Flats deal, building a new rink downtown. The first thing you think of is, okay, what does this do to the franchise value um, yeah. of the Ottawa Senators, more attractive for sale, etc.? Uh, your thoughts on, on hearing this news yesterday? Well, obviously it's a positive step. There's no question, but there's still a lot we don't know. Um, we don't know how long this process is going to take, how long... Like, what's the target date of the of the new arena? When can they start construction? And when would they be completing construction? We also don't really know the full idea of how the payment's going to work. Is it all going to be privately funded? Are they going to ask for public funding? Is the city or the whatever government willing to do that? Um, you know, those are all questions that we don't have an answer to. I, I, have, I have always believed, Jeff, that as part of this, the league would like the the, the league. I my personal belief is the league wants the downtown uh, guarantee before they mm-hmm. sell the team because I yes. think it makes it makes the most sense. You know, everything is all about franchise values in this league, and nothing would ramp up the franchise values more than everybody knowing that they've got a downtown arena. So it's only logical. Um, like I said, positive step, but there's still a lot here that we don't know in terms of financing and in terms of the plan. You know, I, I saw, I read a story this morning that said there's going to be some, you know, condominium developments or whatever, and they'd be talking about starting building around the end of 2024 if everything all goes to plan. But we did, there's nothing about the arena in terms of where that's going to go. Talk to Mendez about this here coming up in a, uh, in a couple of moments. Uh, tonight, uh, as we say, the cup is in the building, Elliot. What are you looking for tonight? Because I refuse to believe that, you know, to, uh, to, to jump on, on, a, on an old poem that um, the Tampa Bay Lightning go gentle into that good night. Yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to agree with that. Um, I, I, I think that... Look, I think that one of the reasons that Cooper was so upset at the end of game four wasn't only the goal. I I think it's because he looked at his group, Colorado's getting healthier, and Tampa isn't. And I think there was probably a moment of self-doubt in there and the emotion of the moment 
where he said, oh boy, you know, we're, we're really in trouble here. We've got uh, a big problem. And I, I'm sure in that moment, he probably just said, wow, like, uh, you know, that, that might've been the series, but then you kind of regroup and you recover. And yesterday he apologized. And now today you look at who you've got and you find a way. Um, look, if Tampa goes down, they're not going down easy. Um, they're going to put everything they have into it, and they still have Vasilevsky, who can win a game by himself. And yep. I'm sure Colorado will be well aware of that, but this building is going to be crazy tonight, Jeff. It's going to okay. be insane in here. I'm going to propose a, a prop bet to you, okay? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do we see a too many men on the ice call tonight? Against Tampa. <laughs> uh, that would be just too delicious though elliot wouldn't it yeah yeah <laughs> that's why i'll be following closely to see uh to see what the calls are tonight and do we get a too many men on the ice uh, penalty you know maybe, maybe the obvious answer is is nathan mckinnon to this question but i'll i'll throw it out there anyway if colorado was successful whose story benefits the most you know like there is the kale mccarr story and that's one of him you know still growing and emerging into this you know elite player who's not just a norris candidate but a heart trophy candidate and will probably go on to win the con Smythe trophy as well there's the nazim kadri redemption story that we're all watching play itself out and last game was a glorious one for uh, for the return of nazim kadri maybe the answer is nathan mckinnon but is there one player here that you look at and you say a win tonight really changes this guy's story. Um, that's a good question. Well, I mean, the biggest one probably, you know, your show is based in Toronto. I know it's obviously on radio in Vancouver and Calgary, but it's it's probably Kadri. More so than Nathan McKinnon? Yeah. Um, the, the, only I, reason, I get, the, the, the only reason I bring that up for you, I guess. I mean, you can recall at the Players Tour in Chicago how McKinnon stopped us mid-interview and said, look, I've done nothing. Like, look what Crosby's done. And he ran down the laundry list of accomplishments and said, look, I've done nothing. My story is that I've done nothing. And here's a guy who at times we talk about as being the best forward in the world. That's, that, that, that's, that's why I wonder about Nathan McKinnon. I, I understand that. I get that. I don't know. Maybe it's because I live in Toronto, and Toronto's the team I see the most. Um, if Cal- if Colorado wins the cup tonight, some of those post game interviews are going to be ep- are going to be epic. Yes, they will. McKinnon's is going to be epic. Cadre's is going to be epic. Eric Johnson's is going to be epic. <laughs> yes, it will. Some of these are going to be crazy. I even I wonder so. what a guy like Kemper is going to say. Uh, I wonder about Kemper. I wonder about Josh Manson. Um, yeah. I wonder. I wonder about Gabriel Landeskog, the uh, longtime captain uh, of this team. Like, I, like I, I still like. I wonder about McKinnon and Landeskog. You know, the guys that were there before. You know, the the Greg Sherman guys, the guys that were there before Joe Sakic. You know, I, I wonder about those. I mean, this is, like, make no mistake about it. This is Joe Sackick's team outside of Landis Cog and McKinnon. I wonder about those two. You know, those are 
Those are some really interesting ones. And then Jared Bednar, you know, that story gets told more. And here's someone who's now, if they can do it again, he's won at every level for each. He's won at the ECHL level, the AHL level, and would have been successful now at the NHL level. Not a lot of company. And, and, and again, another guy who after that first year, people were kind of like, he's done. Yeah, I see. But not Joe Sackick. That that one I always had a hard time with because of how, when he came in, how late in the summer he came in after. Yeah, but Pac-Cola not every GM would have reacted that way. No, I know, I get it, I know, and it was a horrible season, but it was such a scramble for him. I know, but I don't know. It was like, like didn't you look at that season for Bedner, like even at the time for agent say, okay, this is Mulligan year for him. This has to be considered mulligan year. That's no? what I thought, but not every GM would have. You know what? And I don't know the answer to this, but somebody listening will. And if I don't get an answer, I'm going to probably spend, you know, a, a good portion of my early evening tonight <laughs> having supper and trying to find out the answer to this. I think that if Colorado wins tonight, I can almost hear your eyes rolling back even before I say this, Freej. I might just be saying this to annoy you. If Colorado wins tonight, I think Jared Bednar becomes the first player from the RHI to win a Stanley Cup in any capacity. RHI was Roller Hockey International, which was a, which was a league that ran in the early 90s. I th- and, and Bednar played on Anaheim when the Bullfrogs. I think he might be the only one you want a championship there too, RHI um, championship. But Bender is going to become a, qu- a quick conversation about the coach that succeeded at every single level for each. Yes, um, yes, he has. You know, it's it's a new, like there's a lot to learn about the way the Avalanche do things, and because it's a copycat league, you're going to mm-hmm. see a lot of people do it. But that's good because it's a fun team to watch. Yes. Like, I don't mind that. I would much rather this than a team that just, you know, hard traps. Like, okay, let's all we can learn about the, the Peterborough freeze because that's working. Here's a, uh, the left-wing lock for the millionth time. And is it successful? Yes, they just won the Stanley Cup. Like, this is, in a, in a lot of ways, kind of a, if, if the NHL is, if NHL teams gonna, are going to, you know, copy whatever is successful, this is kind of a dream final because both teams are fun teams to watch. This isn't like the fun team versus the boring team at all. These are two fun teams to watch for each. You know, not 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 unlike um, when was it when Boudreaux was coaching the Caps and um, Lindy Ruff was coaching Dallas, and they yeah. were both just like let, it's rock and roll time. Let's just go and fill the net because Lindy was coaching the the Stars that way, and Boudreaux was of course coaching the Capitals that way. We looked at it. We said we hope these two teams meet in the Stanley Cup final. Because if every general manager is going to, you know, just try to ape whatever is successful, they're going to base it on Dallas or Washington. And then because the hockey gods hate all of us, it didn't happen. Anyway, um, <laughs> enjoy tonight, Elliot. Enjoy your workout this afternoon and enjoy tonight's matchup. All right. Thanks very much, Jeff. Have a great, uh, have a great day. You too. Elliot Friedman from 32 Thoughts and Hockey Night in Canada.